Today's Bible reading, our sermon reading, is from 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in that will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will be spread like a gangrene. Among them are Hymenus and Philetus, uh, who, who have departed from the truth. They said that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroyed the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord has no, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the matter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of pure heart. Don't have anything to do with the foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. Friends, if you do have a Bible in front of you, can I encourage you to keep it open? Uh, we've sort of got out of that habit a little bit through COVID, haven't we? But it is uh, good to have it in front of you. I'll put a lot of the verses on the screen as well. That's particularly for those who are at home. Well, I hope you've got a Bible open in front of you too. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name's Pete Stacey, and it's great to be together. Uh, we're going to start this morning with a simple game. Uh, some words from the passage will come up on the screen one after another. I want you to, as quick as you can, to call out the opposite of whatever word is on the screen. Ready? Here we go. First one. Good. Next one. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> Thank you. Speaking for us all. Next one. You got it. Good. Okay, next one. Good. Next one. Cool. Last one. Yeah, they're not easy, are they? The opposites, the opposites of those words aren't all in the passage, although many of them are. And so this is kind of one of those passages where we need to make sure that we've connected the right verb with the right action that goes with it. For example, the passage doesn't say, avoid reminding God's people the truth and keep quarrelling. It doesn't say that. Just say that for the live stream. It doesn't say that. Friends, we need to 
not just understand what's right, but we need to actually do it. Make sure we do it. Our beliefs uh, about God, guiding our behaviour for God. And we don't always do that, do we? We struggle to do that. Sometimes we know exactly what God wants in a situation, and we do the, the opposite. So let's um, ask God for his help as we look at this very helpful passage. Let's pray. Dear Father, please open our minds to understand the Scriptures and help us to obey all that we understand so that we are useful to you, our Master, and prepared to do any good work. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week's passage ended with a short poem reminding us to persevere and to remain faithful to God's truth. And in verse 14, uh, Paul reminds us to keep reminding God's people of these things. We all need to be reminded of God's truth. Sometimes it's because we forget it, but more often, I think it's because it, uh, it just simply hasn't changed the way we live our lives. It's like having the most wonderful designer tea in the infuser, but never putting it in the cup. We're just drinking boiling tap water. Friends, God wants our lives to be infused with the wonderful flavour of his truth. That's why it's so important for Timothy and all teachers of God's word to aim for verse 15. Do your best, present yourself to God. In other words, this is someone who lives for an audience of one, who wants to please God, not people. As one approved, that's someone who has a track record of teaching God's word faithfully. A worker who does not need to be ashamed because they're not hiding any sin. And lastly, who correctly handles the word of truth. That's someone who's not destroying the truth of the gospel by adding bits or by leaving bits out, just to make it more politically correct or, or sort of culturally acceptable. To communicate truth, we need to use words, and words have meaning. And sometimes people don't like the plain meaning of what's there in Scripture because they don't want to obey the plain meaning that's right there in front of them. So they quarrel about words. Now, mum says, pack away your toys. An hour later, they're still all over the floor. And when asked, the cheeky little uh, kid says, well, you didn't say when. <laughs> or there's two or three toys back in the crate. And the kid says, you didn't say all the toys. Uh, even as adults. We sometimes use words to interpret, uh, or interpret words to present ourselves in a better light, or to get out of trouble. No, we, we do. But when it comes to our relationship with God and our eternal destiny, the stakes couldn't be higher. So Paul says, "Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It is of no value and only ruins." Those who listen. Again in verse 16, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Now, I've never seen gangrene and I wish I didn't Google it, <laughs> just quite frankly. It's ghastly. And Paul uses it to describe the rapid spread and the spiritual sickness of people who indulge in godless chatter. 
Godless chatter means talking about the issues of life and trying to make sense of life without listening to the very God who gave us life. Friends, when we seek to encourage one another, when we want to speak words of comfort to someone who's grieving or words of guidance for those who are seeking direction for life, let's not waste time with godless chatter. Rather, let's make sure we speak in a way that he thoroughly honours God and he's just soaked in the truths of his word and points one another to Christ. Sadly, godless chatter and false teaching were happening in Timothy's time. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. What sort of teacher do you want to shape your life, friends? One who has departed from the truth? One or one who, like in verse 15, correctly handles the word of truth. The word correctly handles literally cut straight. The word for departed from the truth is literally swerves away. What do you want to listen to? That's why Paul's been so strong on this point to Timothy. Remember back in chapter 1, he said, What you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound te teaching. With faith and love in Christ Jesus, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Because friends, if we do not keep and guard the truth in our personal lives, in our marriages, as we raise our children, as we fellowship with one another here at church, in the teaching from the front each week, or the teaching we might access online, or anything else that we might expose ourselves to. If we don't keep and guard the truth, it's only a matter of time before we depart from it. And before we know it, we're drifting into false teaching like a boat without an anchor. On this occasion, it was this issue. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. What a dangerous lie. And what a disastrous outcome. Heresy is any false teaching about God. It's usually communicated religious kind of words and concepts. Most of the time, it's a departure from the, the central truths of the Bible, such as who Jesus is, or something about his death and resurrection, or, or how we are saved from our sin, those kinds of issues. Consider this one in, in verse 18, it's on the screen still. If Jesus had already returned and taken believers to heaven, then everyone left behind has missed out. Simple as that. This idea spread far and wide. In his second letter to the uh, church in Thessalonica, Paul had to deal with this issue in detail. Had to reassure the Christians there that Jesus had not yet returned and they had not lost their salvation. Godless teaching. It's alive and well today as well. It leads so many people astray. It undermines people's confidence in the promises of God. And sadly, as this verse says, it destroys the faith of some. It spreads like, like gangrene. Friends, we need to be reminded of the truth again and again and again and again. Because there is a lot of false teaching in churches today. And especially online. That's why I encourage you to keep your Bible open. Don't take my word for it. Check it out for yourself. 
as we all have a growing knowledge of the scriptures. As we'll see next week, the surrounding culture was and still is moving away from God as well. Pressure from the inside, pressure from the outside to drift away from Jesus. So we need to be alert. We need to be discerning, but we do not need to be fearful. Verse 19. God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. Friends, the eternal security of the Christian is not in how strongly I can hang on to God, but in how strongly He holds on to me. Yes, sometimes, for all kinds of reasons, our grip is a bit weak. But the Lord knows those who are His. Can I say, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, then no matter how you have sinned, or how much you have sinned, or how you may have been sinned against. God declares that you are clean in His sight because the price of your sin has been paid in full by Jesus' sacrifice in your place on the cross. Your guilt has been erased. You've been irreversibly adopted into His family. You are saved. The rest of verse 19 is the natural outworking of a person who's been adopted into God's family. We're going to look more and more like our heavenly dad. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Turning from sin does not save us from God's judgment. It doesn't win his approval. Rather, it is a visible expression of of gratitude for the approval and acceptance that God has already given us. It is a visible evidence that we have, in fact, put our trust in Jesus. To use Paul's own metaphor, turning from sin and growing in holiness is how we build on God's solid foundation as we love and trust Jesus as our Saviour. And Paul extends on the building metaphor to contrast how we serve in the household. Verse 20. In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. The original Greek there literally says some for honour and some for dishonour. The NIV kind of loses that moral tone of it. Uh, So those who cleanse themselves from the latter, in other words... uh, from dishonourable deeds, will be instruments for special purposes, made holy and useful to the Master, prepared to do any good work. Friends, are we prepared to clean our lives from dishonourable deeds, the strength of God's Spirit at work in our hearts? Do we want the quality of our lives to be more like a ragged old doormat or a red carpet? Like plastic cups or fine crystal glasses? Like hessian towels or you know, new Sheridan bath sheets? <laughs> we can use the, the special items for anyone, anytime we like, if we really want to. But we'd be embarrassed to offer the cheap stuff up for a, a really honoured guest. Paul is saying, make our lives as clean as possible so that God can use us 
in any way. We'll be useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Makes sense in the context too. Because in verse 19, remember, uh, finished by saying, turn away from wickedness. And verse 22 begins with, flee the evil desires of youth. And sandwiched between these two is this illustration of cleansing ourselves from what is dishonourable so we are useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. We can't fully say yes to God until we say no to sin, to deeds of dishonour. Now before we move on from this a little bit, let me just say what is implied in Paul's words, though not stated. If a believer refuses to cleanse their life from sin, it greatly limits how God will use them in his service. It greatly limits how brightly they shine as a witness for Christ. It greatly limits how their life will commend the gospel and point people, including their own family, to Christ. In fact, if someone will not change in response to the gospel, James says it brings their very salvation into question. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. We need to search our hearts, hearts on this point. So how do we change? How do we make sure our faith is clearly seen in our actions? Well, Paul gives us another strong contrast in verse 22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, here's a picture of fleeing. Do you like that? I love African animals. You don't stand there and think, Maybe I'm strong enough to withstand this temptation. Maybe it'll just blow over and it'll affect everyone else but not me. I'll be fine. Friends, we must never underestimate the lure of sin and the weakness of our own hearts. We do that. Paul says to Timothy, God says to us, flee the evil desires of youth. This kind of fleeing is a sign of wisdom not weakness. The sign of faith, not fear. And God in his kindness doesn't just tell us what to run from, he shows us what to replace those evil desires with. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now here's a picture of pursuing. <laughs> uh, this, this time we're the cheetah, right? Not the impala. Now, I know it's obvious, but both fleeing and pursuing are verbs. Uh, they're doing words, right? But, but they're really extreme versions of the action they describe. Paul is saying, take sin really seriously and flee. Don't try and walk as close to the edge as you can. On the other hand, take Jesus seriously and pursue the beautiful new clothing of righteousness and faith, love and peace and purity. There's a battle for the hearts and minds of every person on the planet and we need to be aware that the direction of our lives is headed in a certain direction. Is it towards Jesus or away from him? 
in our thinking, in our conduct. What we believe, head and heart, shapes how we behave. Or to put it around the other way, uh, how we behave is a window into what we truly believe. As we seek to live for Jesus, we'll notice behaviours and uh, beliefs in other Christians uh, that don't line up with God's word. And this is a really hard point, I think, in church life. What are we supposed to do? Do we get involved? Do we say something? We really need God's wisdom, don't we? This takes us to the very uncomfortable territory of conflict resolution, which we so often avoid. That's what verses 23 to 25 are about. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. Let me pick out two key points when conflict arises. Firstly, our non-verbal communication must be shaped by gospel grace. In other words, love people. Love, love the person. And point them to Jesus by your manner. If we challenge someone about their behaviour or what they believe on a particular point, we need to keep wearing all the qualities that we just looked at in verse 22. Righteousness, faith, love, peace and purity. Verse 24 says, be kind to everyone. Verse 25, we must be gentle. This really helps take the heat out of conflict. But conflict still hurts. So at the end of verse 24, Paul adds, not resentful. That's really hard if you feel like someone is personally attacking you. Keep praying that God will give us the strength to honour him by how we behave in the midst of conflict. Of course, the second thing to remember in conflict is that our verbal communication must be shaped by gospel grace. In other words, we need to be able to teach, as Paul writes, to know what the truth is and able to defend it. That's a point that we can improve on by a careful study of God's Word, attending connect group and, and listening and learning from others, asking questions. That's why Paul has impressed on Timothy the importance of God's Word again and again and again. A pastor who is not able to teach is like a surgeon who can't use a scalpel. You don't want to go near it. As we grow in our knowledge of God's Word, we can ask questions like this. Is this a central gospel issue? Or is it just a peripheral matter? Is it damaging the faith of people? And perhaps even impacting our unity as a church? Or how much does the Bible say about this particular issue? Sometimes I think we do waste time on insignificant matters. Paul says in verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Trying to win a war of words usually just increases 
conflict. Instead, Paul makes the goal of conflict clear in verse 25. Opponents must be gently instructed. Why? In the hope that God will grant them repentance. That's it, isn't it? Coming back to God, turning away from sin, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they'll come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. A restored relationship with God is the goal. Win the person, not the argument. The last line is very strong language, isn't it? 1 Peter 5, 8 puts it like this. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in faith. Friends, let's help one another to resist the devil, to turn from sin, and to stand firm in the truth by speaking the truth in love, exposing sin and wrong ideas about God, and lovingly pointing one another back to Jesus. Amen.